0: As you're seated, you are invited to turn in your Bibles to Acts 20, where we're going to continue our sermon series um, from Acts. So if you'll remember from last week, there was a terrible riot in Ephesus, and yet at the end of that, they couldn't even really figure out a reason why they were even doing that, and so the Lord just shut it down, And um, and so we pick up. Reading in Acts 20, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. So Acts 20. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus, from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Antichus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and 5 days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed 7 days going to push pause on the reading a minute and just make a few comments on this section. You'll remember that Paul and Barnabas started out together. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And Barnabas was modeling for Paul. And Paul learned how the encouragement was just such an important aspect of ministry. And so you'll notice that Paul was a good learner because now he's mentoring these other leaders, this team that I wish they had nicknames and jerseys um, because they're hard to read, all right? So I'm just saying that I practiced them and wanted to give them nicknames. Um, But he's got this group of men, representatives from all the various churches, and so it's a very multi-ethnic, multicultural group that he's traveling with, and they're watching Paul, go to these places and encourage the believers. How much we need encouragement, right? We've even talked about that already in our service. We need encouragement. Paul was modeling encouragement even as this team was going with him. And so um, just wanted to make a comment on those couple of things there. All right, now we're going to pick back up in reading. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then they went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive And we're greatly comforted, or we might even say encouraged, comforted and encouraged there. All right, and this is the reading of God's word. All right, this is the one passage in scripture where maybe there's a few elbows going on, like if you've ever fallen asleep or somebody near you falls asleep, you might be tempted to make a joke of this, like sometimes pastors get long-winded. And um, all right. Um, maybe when we were little, we did this, I don't know. Um, however, I want to say that, um, they really, this is a very serious text. And, um, when churches need encouragement, they don't care how long the service goes. And so Pastor Dave and I were talking about, um, in China where the church had needed encouragement and where they told people, if you're sending somebody to come and speak to us, they need to be able to speak a minimum of three hours. All right? Um, When I went to Haiti, the service, the morning service was two and a half hours long. We break for lunch and then come back at three. There's more. And we go for more hours. All right? When the church is in a place where they need encouragement, people are eager to hear and to gather. And so this is um, a matter of the church needing encouragement And Paul recognizing the need to encourage. And so what do they do and what does it tell us he did? But immediately they gathered together and they were there breaking bread. They were there together with a meal. And I want you to picture because this morning, maybe we look a little bit like that. Gathering, multicultural, multi-ethnic, we're friends. And what do friends do? Friends eat together together. And so please, here, here, he would feed them all and they would have bread and they would have drink and they would share together and be encouraging each other, just getting to know one another. Because remember, these people came from all different places. Paul had not been there before. This was a church that had been birthed out of, remember the gospel spread throughout the region? This was a church that had spread throughout the region that Paul was just getting acquainted with. And so they sit together And they break bread and they have beverage and they're getting to know each other. And then Paul starts talking. They've gathered in the evening. And this is actually the first time that it tells us they gathered on the um, Sunday. All right. And so this is the church gathering on Sunday. And it was Sunday evening or sometime close to evening when they gathered. And um, they broke the bread, and then he starts talking. It doesn't tell us what he said. But we know that he's encouraging them. And what do you do when you're trying to encourage people in the Lord? You're telling stories. You're telling stories of what your life has been like, what the changes have happened since you've come to know Jesus. You're talking to these people who are um, coming out of pagan religions And you're talking to them, putting your story in the bigger context of God's story. And so I can just imagine that Paul was telling them about how that he had persecuted Christians. Remember that? And then on the road to Damascus, he had this encounter. And who was it with? Jesus. And then he had been blind. And then there was somebody that actually had gotten a vision. And the Lord told him to come and pray. And he had seen this Ananias who would come and pray. The supernatural power, the power of God. And he would tell them these kinds of stories. And he would talk to them about how that as he had become a Christian, yes, it was hard. It was hard to live this life where the world is not agreeing with you, but you've come with the best news that you could possibly come with that there is a God who loves and wants to restore back in relationship. And I imagine that he's talking and talking and talking, and it's getting later and later, and as he's talking, all of a sudden, there's a big distraction. Somebody falls out the window and is dead. Do you know that that can disrupt, that can very much disrupt a gathering when somebody dies? When somebody falls out of a third-floor window and die, Right? Recently, down at the airport, when we were flying, somebody fell multiple stories and died, and it shut down the whole airport for hours. And so here, all of a sudden, he's here to encourage, and suddenly there's this death, and yet, without skipping a beat, all of a sudden, there's a resurrection. And what does he do with that? I imagine Paul turns that into a teachable moment. And so he says, hey, let's um, go have some more bread. I'm hungry after that resurrection. Um, let's have some more bread. And let's, let's have a little bit more to eat and drink. And let me tell you about this. All right, so what happened there is that Jesus has said we would be doing the same things that he had done and even more. And he said, these signs are going to follow. And so there's going to be these following signs. If you're a Christian, he gives us supernatural power to make himself known. And so this is what happened, friends. We've just been and seen and witnessed by God's grace a resurrection from the dead. And he talked and he explained, and I imagine they had many questions, don't you? Yeah? have questions about this. And he had, they had many questions, and they talked back and forth until morning. And then in the morning was time to go. But it had been a whole night of encouragement. I had a seminary professor that talked about the meaning is in the structure. The meaning is in the structure. And so it really kind of made me kind of look when I read these Bible stories is there any structure here? Is there any kind of a structure that would kind of give a point to like, what is the meaning or the main takeaway from this? And I look at this structure. I see that it started with bread and breaking of bread. You see the bread at the beginning of this story. You see the bread at the end of this story. You hear talking in both of these before and after, but the central main point is something that actually the writer doesn't give a whole lot of... I mean, there's not a lot of words here about this resurrection, but it's a central point. We see a meal of grace, we see words of grace, and we see an act of God's grace, saving grace, raising from the dead. As I think about that structure... I also was like, Lord, is there any other structure you want me to pay attention to and you want us to pay attention to? And I felt like there was this other structure, and it's a spatial structure. And so let me explain that they were in the upper room. And so they were together in this upper room. This was part of their architecture in their buildings. They'd have maybe um, a second or a third floor or maybe an upstairs uh What do you call that? Like a terrace or veranda, like up on the rooftop. So they were up high and they were gathered together. And it says something kind of a strange little detail. There were many candles. Did you notice that? Many candles. I wonder why the Lord would point that out. Well, candles weren't common. And houses didn't have lots and lots of candles back then. And so, what it means, and this is such a beautiful thing, um, everybody brought their own candle, and they were planning to stay a while. They were eager, and they thought, this is not just like, I'm hoping to go have a quick meeting and a supper, and then get back to my place to get to bed on time. It meant, they brought candles. It would be like if you all came to church on Sunday morning, and you brought your lunch, and you brought extra activities for your kids to keep them occupied, and maybe you brought your dinner, your sack dinner, and maybe some snacks for in the meantime, because you were so eager to gather with other believers and be encouraged. And so they had each, no family would have all these candles, but they each brought their little candle so that they would be able to see, and also if they, depending on how long that meeting lasted, if they went home, they'd have a way to get home, because there weren't lights. It was dark. It was dangerous out on those roads. And so, would you imagine with me that here Paul is in this upper room, and they're talking, and they're sharing, and he's telling them all the good news about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, and then... All of a sudden, this person falls out the window. And you notice it says that they picked him up and he was dead. And then Paul went. And I have a feeling, friends, that Paul in that moment was discerning with the Lord. What are you doing? Is this of you? Is there some way you're wanting to move? And then Paul goes down. And he goes down. And he lays on him. And he stretches out. And I think this is the weirdest thing. And it happened in the Old Testament too. And I'm like, Lord, why is he stretching out on this person? This is a posture of prayer. He is covering this person in prayer. And he's out in the dirty, dark, dangerous street, humbling himself on behalf of this dead person. And he says, don't be alarmed. He's alive, and he wraps his arms around him, and he takes him back up. And they're back again. And this meal, friends, it may have been just a meal, but breaking bread also may mean they were celebrating communion and giving thanks, remembering that Jesus said that his body had been broken and that this would be the cup in his blood. And remembering that the resurrection that they just had witnessed, this physical resurrection, was going to happen eventually to every believer who believes in Jesus. This is God's grace to us, made available by Jesus. And what is this? They're up high, go down lower, come back. Right in the pinnacle of that is this coming to life. And friends, I want to invite you to remember that Jesus, who was on high in glory, and maybe these candles even represent that, his glory, that he looked at the helplessness of each one of us, dead in our sins, unable to resuscitate ourselves, and he came down. And he stretched his arms out on that cross and he laid his life down and he covered us with prayer when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. This is modeled in our text this morning is that Jesus came down. Jesus gives us the opportunity to be raised from the dead spiritually and eventually physically, and he pours out his grace as people cover other situations in prayer, he will show himself to be God. And that's what he did to encourage the church that day. And they they learned and they heard by Paul and the others testifying and speaking about God's goodness, that he took my life and turned it around. I mean, that song that we opened with, When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on a solid ground. Paul was picked up. I was picked up as a teenager, catapulted headfirst into such sin and brokenness. I thank God for a mother who prayed me through, and the Lord's picked me up. What's he done for you? What could you give thanks to him for? I believe the Lord would invite us to encourage one another by testifying this morning. By speaking a word to say, I thank God for picking me up. Or I thank God for forgiving my sin. Or I had somebody that prayed for me and this happened. Or maybe you've prayed for some situation. Just like last Sunday, I sat here and prayed for my daughter's friend, who was in a coma, who had had an extremely high alcohol content, and they were doing EKG to see if her brain activity, and I I don't know if you remember this, but I said, Lord, please don't let her die without knowing Jesus. I got a text from my daughter this week. She's off the ventilator. She remembers that Kaylee and Sam came to her bedside, but she's delirious and paranoid right now. And so, again... I say, Kaylee, would the family like someone to come? I would be willing to go with you and Sam, or I would go, I'd be happy to go. And she said, let me check with the family. So I'm waiting to hear. But... The Lord answers our prayers. He cares about people that are broken and hurting, that have fallen down off of high places, who have gotten hurt or crushed by sin, by the weight of the world, by abuse, by whatever, whatever. God cares. And we have the opportunity to pray for people. We have the opportunity to testify to people about what the good, good news of a loving God who saves.